Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 12. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 12. We've been walking with Jesus Christ through His Passion Week, the last week of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry before going to the cross. And we've been watching Him as He's been interacting with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, even dealing with the Herodotans from a time or two. But now as He's finishing up this Tuesday that He has been working and teaching, we now come to a principle that is applied in this uh, passage here, something that I believe will be a help to us on a Wednesday night, having a little bit more mature Christians, we want to apply these principles in a very practical way if we want to teach you tonight, and maybe something that might be a help to you, something that might grant you a little bit more understanding, and the idea of discernment. May I remind you the definition of discernment carries the idea of far-seeing. It's not just seeing where people are, it's seeing where they are going. And part of what determines where people are going is what their attention is on. What is the central focus? What is the purpose? What is their goal? And we could see that principle that we're going to be explaining today. So hopefully you've now found your way to the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 12. The gospel record of Mark in chapter number 12. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up starting at verse number 35. The gospel record of Mark chapter 12 and verse 35. The word of God says this. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore called himself or calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplace, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at the feast, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Then shall receive, or these shall receive, greater damnation. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 12? The gospel record of Mark chapter 12. And notice with me in verse number 38. The gospel record of Mark chapter 12 and verse 38. Notice what it says in verse 38. It says, his doctrine. His doctrine. And with the Lord's help, we want to teach a principle here based off this idea of His doctrine. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to your scriptures tonight, and as we hit a principle that is taught throughout your word of God, I'm asking that you would give us special wisdom and special discernment tonight. I'm asking that we would be able to understand the principle behind these things, to see the differences of what you're going to be showing here between these two different examples. And Lord, that you would show yourself to be real. We're asking that you would help the, this ministry here to be centered on you, the attention on you, for you to be honored, for you to be the goal. I'm asking as we may teach a principle here that maybe someone's never heard before, that they would be receptive and that they would be understanding and that we can move forward together with our eyes on you. Again, fill me with your Holy Spirit that you may get the glory and honor out of everything that is done. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When it talks about his doctrine, remember the word doctrine means belief and teachings. And we know that the idea of doctrine is very important throughout the word of God. That doctrine, our belief and teachings, is something that we need to be understood. We need to see what Jesus teaches. We all need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now with this, let me kind of hit some principles here. And we're going to use some terms tonight. There's a term called theology. Theology in basic essence sense and dealing with doctrine is what we believe to be true about God. So our theology is what we believe to be true about God. Philosophy is what we believe to be true about the world. So philosophy is what we see to be true about the world. It's often an application of how we see the world. And so with these two things here, we understand that our theology must, <coughs> uh, must deter or determines our philosophy. Our theology, what we be believe to be true about God, determines how we see the world. Okay, does that make sense? So we start with God. How we see God affects how we see the world. Unfortunately, what many people do is they start with their philosophy, meaning how they see the world, and they have their philosophy determine how they see their theology. They make their point of view of the world, and they make that affect how they see God. They do it backwards. That's why a lot of people have a different view of God, because they start with their philosophy. So let's say that someone who has a philosophy that's based off this world. But yet they want to believe in God, so either their philosophy has to change or their theology has to change. What we need to do if we're going to be Bible believers is we start with our theology and let our theology affect our philosophy. We let how we see God affect how we see the world. Does that make sense? So it starts with God. That's where we have to start. We have to start with our view of God. This is why studying doctrine is so important. That it all begins with our vision of God. How we see God determines how we see the world. It should not be how we see the world determines how we see God. That's backwards. But yet that's mo how most people affect or deal with theology. They start with their philosophy, how they see the world. And let it affect how they see God. You say, well, that's some complicated teaching right away. 
Well, it's a principle here that we're going to see within these two examples here of how we apply our ministry of what God has given us to do. Now, what we're going to be talking tonight is not dealing with how the world deals with things. We're covering with how people view and operate church and what they do for God. Does that make sense? So based off of this, we should start with our theology and not our philosophy. So the very first thing I'd like to show you is Jesus is teaching. Jesus is in the temple now, and he's beginning to teach. And as he's beginning to teach, he highlights two different examples that we need to choose from. First of all, we see a Christ-centered ministry. Christ-centered ministry. That's at the end. At the very end. (laughs) Max is, we're trying to do things and Good, some help, practical helps. So first of all, we see a Christ-centered ministry. A Christ-centered ministry. All right? So notice with me, if you don't mind, as Jesus begins to teach in the temple in verse 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, what this is referring to, Jesus says, open your Bibles, if you don't mind, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 110 in verse 1. And he quotes Psalm 110 verse 1, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, the Hebrew people would recognize that Psalm 110 is what is called a messianic psalm. What's a messianic psalm? It's a psalm that gives a prediction of the Messiah. It, those are psalms that talk about Christ and talk about who Christ is. And so he begins by quoting Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm. And he goes through and says, all right, now here's the questions. First of all, who wrote it? David wrote it. And notice what he said about David writing it. Notice in verse 36. For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost. Just as a little insert. Who wrote this? David. Used by the Holy Ghost. That David was the human instrument. The Holy Ghost was the one who was the power that wrote the scripture. Jesus said, I just want to remind you who put together scripture. The Holy Spirit moved David. But when David said in Psalm 110. He's speaking about the Messiah and he's also recognizing a principle that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. And so David recognizes that the Messiah, the the, the chosen one, is going to be a great, 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 great grandson of David. So it's a descendant of David. And he is acknowledging this principle here that there's going to be a descendant here. But notice what he said. He said, verse 35, And Jesus answered and said, While he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? So even the scribes recognize that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, is going to be a descendant of David. But what did David say about the Messiah? For David said within himself, by the Holy Ghost, The Lord. Now notice the word Lord here. 
the Lord is in big capital letters. In the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters, it's a way for you to understand in your Bible that it is referring to the personal name of God, Jehovah. It's recognizing this name, Jehovah, that this is the personal name of God. So it is referring to God that God said to my Lord. This Lord here carries the idea of master. And so David is saying that God is speaking to my master. Now let's catch this. David is king and he is saying that his descendant is going to be David's master. Think about that. David's the king, but he's recognizing that someone is going to be higher than him. Jesus is going to be higher than David. And this psalm here is recognizing the preeminence that Christ has in the Davidic line. He said, for David said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord, so God, Jehovah said to my Lord, my master, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool. Verse 37, David therefore calleth, or for David therefore himself calleth him Jesus Lord, master. Whence is he then his son? Now normally, if you were going to have a descendant, for example, I have three kids. Do I tell my, ma- my kids, you're my master, you're the boss, you tell me what to do. Is that normally how it works? No. I'm the father and so there's respect. But David is saying my descendant is going to be my master. And so David's asking a question saying, hey, the scribes believe this passage is talking about Christ. Then how come David is talking about this, that he is his master? Because Jesus is the master. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. Now, you say this is a little bit deeper. Yes, and he's doing that on purpose because he's teaching something to the people about who Christ is. And he's putting their attention on Christ. Now, here's the principle we want to understand here. That a Christ-centered ministry puts all the attention on Christ. The attention in that passage was not on David. It was on Christ. A Christ-centered ministry begins with God. A Christ-centered ministry ends with God. A Christ-centered ministry makes God the goal. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. That means that if there's any ministry that is to be God-honoring, that it starts with God. It all begins with God. That's where we start from. What, then it all ends with God. Meaning that all the way through, our goal is God. Our goal must be God. Now we have to understand that in any ministry. Because anytime you make something other than God the goal, it weakens both goals. For example, there are some people who make standards the goal. That said, if you're going to be godly, if you're going to be right, you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way and talk a certain way. And what they do is they make that the goal and they weaken both goals. But you understand that if God is the goal, then the rest of that will change how you dress, how you speak, and how you go. But the dress is not the goal. It is a byproduct of the goal. 
Being different is not the goal. It is a byproduct of following after Christ. Christ must be the goal. God is the goal. That is the whole purpose. Why do we do this inside of the church? Because God is the goal. That should be the answer. Why do we do things this way? Remember our theology affects our philosophy. So what we do is we have a theology of Sunday school, not a philosophy, a theology, because our Sunday school starts with God. Because it starts with God and it ends with God and God is the goal, this is what we do in Sunday school because God is the goal the whole time. Because God is the goal the whole time, this is how we handle this ministry. Because God is the goal and God is the purpose and begins with God and ends with God, this is how we do retirement home ministries. Because God is the goal, this is how we deal with one-on-one discipleship. Because God is the goal, because we begin with God and we end with with God, this is how we do Sunday school. You understand we start off with a theology and it affects our philosophy. That we start off with the theology and it brings us to the practical. Because of who God is, this is how we do it. And so this is important to understand because everything we do in the ministry should have God as the goal. And it should begin with God and it shall end with God. That Christ is the center of the focal point of everything. Now, because of the emphasis of Christ, what was the result of this in this passage? Notice in verse 37 at the end. And the common people heard him gladly. They had no problems with it. The Bible says that if God be lifted up, if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men near. That when we make much of Christ... It affects others around us. We must make much of Christ. Now, here we have an opposite view of that. We start off with a Christ-centered ministry. Now we put the attention on a man-centered ministry. What is an example of a man-centered ministry? Where man is the center. Man is the goal. It's all about self. Where does this work in? Well, notice with me in verse 38. And he said to them in his doctrine. So Jesus begins to teach them. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to give them discernment. He says, look at these people who look righteous. Let's see where it ends up at. Let's see what's going on. Notice with me in verse 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. Now notice this. It's a man-centered ministry. And notice this things that they're supposed to beware of because of what they do. Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing. The scribes would have a certain uh, type of robe that they would wear that would recognize them as scribes. Now remember, what is a scribe? A scribe was a Hebrew person whose job it was to write the scriptures, to pen the scriptures. And what they would often do, or they would have rules, but their job was to write the scriptures perfectly. And they had certain rules they would have to do, like they would count when they would uh, finish writing uh, a book of the Bible, they would have to go back and count how many A's they had and how many B's and how many C's just to make sure that every letter was accounted for. There were certain rules and we have a whole list of those rules. And so for a lot of people, man, look how spiritual they are. They get to write the Bible all the time. But even though they were doing things for God, It was all about themselves. 
And so they were using ministry as a platform to promote themselves. So they would love to go out and they would have big fancy robes that would scream, I'm a scribe! Acknowledge my presence! Look at me! Someone touch me! Quick, quick! Look how great I am! And they loved to go out in those robes to look at me. And how they dressed was all about look at me. Notice as it goes on. It says, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. They love to go out in public and people say, oh, Mr. Scribe, look at there's a scribe. Look at someone. Oh, yes, look at how great I am. Look at how wonderful I am. Yes, acknowledge me. Yes, please, please, no more clapping. No more clapping. And uh, they wanted everyone to acknowledge them. That's not a Christ-centered ministry. That's a man-centered ministry. That even though they were doing quote-unquote ministry, they were doing things for God, their goal wasn't to please God. Their goal was to get everyone to look at them. Notice as it goes on in verse 39. And the chief seats, so they love the chief seats in the synagogue. Now synagogues were uh, designed a little bit different than what we have in our church service. We're used to pews and a platform and everyone looking up here. But a Jewish synagogue back in those days was built in almost like a circle or oval shape. And they would have stadium seating. And at the very bottom was the teacher. And he was able to look at everyone around him. So he's the center. And so everyone would be looking down and everyone could have a good view of whoever was teaching. Now the chief seats were those that were in right on the floor, right by the teacher. So the scribes would be associated with the teacher. They loved to be right at the bottom. So when everyone was looking down, as they saw the teacher, they also saw the scribes. Look at me! Look at how great I am. Look at how close I am to the teacher. Look at how great I am. It's almost like someone who just can't wait to be up on the platform. Oh, I want everyone to see I'm on the platform. I'm so great. Acknowledge my presence. See me. They love that. They love it when people acknowledge them. And they want to be in positions where people see Look at how great I am. I have a title behind my name. I am someone who deserves to be acknowledged how great I am. Notice this, verse 39, and the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost rooms in the feast. They love to be at the guest table. They love to be at the head table so they could be right next to the guest of honor. Look at how me, I'm at the guest of honor table. They want to be with me. And it's all about them. It's a man-centered ministry. And Christ is trying to say there's a difference. Our attention should be on Christ. Beware of the scribes who's a man-centered ministry. Sure, they may be doing things for God. But the goal is not God. The goal is themselves. Notice in verse 40. Which devour widows' houses... So notice this, they devour widows' houses. Now, the scribes, because they wrote the Bible, they were able to read and write, which many people in the ancient world could not do. 
And so, in addition to the religious duties, they would often perform civil duties. Some of them would be like legal paperwork. So, here's a little widow woman who can't read and can't write, and she needs to put her affairs in order. So she calls for a scribe who can do contracts, who could write things down. And so as he's working with her and says, so what all stuff do you have? What are you going to do with all your stuff? And he says, well, you know, if you were really righteous, you would give it all to God. If you were a true Jewish person who loved God, you would prove it by giving all of your assets when you die and giving it to the Lord. That sounds really super spiritual. The problem is, is that when they would give it to the temple, the scribes would get a commission from it. And so they would encourage the people to give it all because they're going to get part of it. And they would take advantage of widow woman who's just expecting someone who can read and write to take care of their legal things. And they end up getting conned of giving all of their inheritance to the church. And via and the scribes profit from it. And you see, they were helping others. Oh, what a blessing, Mr. Scribe. Thank you so much for helping. And he's like, yes, I am so glad to help. And it's all about him. It's all about him. Notice in verse 40. Which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These type of people who's a man-centered, you could spot them out by how they pray. They like to show how spiritual they are when they pray. They can't wait for a chance to pray so they could show off and flex their spiritual muscles. They may not be able to get to the platform. They may not be able to preach. But I want everyone to recognize how spiritual I am. So, dear God, Jehovah... Adonijah, the God of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and the Boam boys. Oh, God of Jehoshaphat and all the fat brothers. Oh, God! And they love to sound super spiritual in their prayers. There was an old evangelist who was a stickler on prayer who was at a meeting and he had called on a preacher to pray. And the preacher made a big long prayer and he said all kinds of spiritual things and he began to quote scripture. And as he quoted scripture, he also gave the address for it too. It says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, oh, and you also say in John chapter 4 and verse 23 and then again in Habakkuk. And he goes on and he gives all this verse and all this stuff and he's sounding super spiritual. Well, the evangelist came to him afterwards and he says, well, I noticed your prayer. You quoted a lot of scripture. And he says, aha, I quote scripture all the time. He says, I also noticed that you gave the address uh, and the passage, the book and passage every time. Was that so God could find it in his Bible? And the guy said, no, I did it for the people. And he said, that was what was wrong with your pr prayer. You were talking to the people and you weren't talking to God. You know, a lot of times public prayer is one of the dangerous things, especially if you're not doing it for the Lord. Doing it to be seen. Let me show how spiritual I am. And the Bible says we're doing discernment here. We're trying to see, don't be like them. It should be a Christ-centered ministry. 
Everything we do, even when we pray, should be to God. God should be the goal. It shouldn't be to be recognized. It shouldn't be shown how spiritual I am. Notice what God says about this. These shall receive greater damnation. God's not happy with this. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Our goal should be God. Our goal should be God. So with this, we see that there's a principle given that there's a Christ-centered ministry and a man-centered ministry. Now, if you don't mind, let's make this practical. Maybe you'd like to write a chart out as we do a comparison between a Christ-centered ministry and a man-centered ministry. That remember, our theology should affect our philosophy. That how we see God affects how we do things in the world in life. So maybe you'd like to write a chart and one side you would like to say <clears throat> the biblical leader and the other side the pragmatist. A biblical leader is someone who is from the Bible trying to be obedient to the Bible to point people to Christ. A pragmatist is someone who believes the ends justify the means. That it doesn't matter what we do to get there that the goal is what we're trying to do. So whatever it takes to get to the end. And so what we have here is two different points of view. One of them is a Christ-centered ministry. The other is a man-centered ministry. What is the difference between the two? Well, the biblical leader starts with God. It begins with God. It begins with vision. It begins with showing who God is. Maybe I could give an example. I have a, had a friend of mine who was going to pastor a church. And the church that he was going to go pastor was a complete mess. All kinds of things wrong. And he said he believed the Lord was leading there. So, okay, fine. And so he was asking advice. And I said, what you need to do is take a full year and just preach messages about God. He said, the I said, the problem with them is that they don't have a clear vision of God. If they see who God is, it will change them. Spend a whole year, just take your time and show them God and that people will move forward. Why do we have problems with people doing things anyways? Because they don't have a clear vision of God. When you see God for whom he is, it changes everything else. Unfortunately, he said, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it was more ideas of showing how great he was. You understand, they needed God in their life. They needed him more than a man. They needed to follow God. And so a biblical leader, it all begins with God. Everything we do is for the purpose of pointing people up to God, showing who God is. Whereas a man-centered ministry brings them all to himself. The biblical leader has a work of faith. A work of faith. What do we mean by that? Well, faith is not sight. It says, this is what I believe God would have us to do. And I don't know how it's going to work, but I prayed on it and you prayed on it. Let's go forward together. We don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to trust God. We're going to go out to the limb. And if we fall, we die. We fail. It has to be God or God alone. There is no safety net, but this is what God has given us to do. And we're going to step out. That when you see God, you could respond by faith. Whereas the 
the man-centered ministry, it's a work of sight. Meaning that we're going to do what is safe. We're going to say, we'll only do this when everything is set up and in line. And, and they don't want to step up by faith. They don't want to trust God. They want to trust what they have. But there is no, the Bible says very clearly, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And God will make you step up by faith. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I believe that God wants us to do it. So we're going to step out. And watch God work. That only happens when you're looking at God. But a man-centered ministry. They want to do what they can see. And they won't move forward until they see it. And it's not going to be a work of faith. The biblical leader says. If it is right. God will bless it. If it is right, God will bless it. Meaning that the results are up to God. That we're going to go soul winning even when it doesn't seem to work. Because it is right and we're going to expect it to work. We're going to go through discipleship even if it doesn't seem to work. Because it is right. We're going to continue to give even though we don't know how it's going to work out. Because it is right. The pragmatist, the man-centered ministry, says that if it works, it must be right. So a pragmatist, a man-centered ministry, has the idea that whatever it takes to bring them in. So if we have clowns for Christ and weightlifters for the Lord and jugglers for Jesus, that if we just, whatever it takes to bring them in. But remember, what you do to get them in is what you have to do to keep them. And that once something bigger and better and more flashier shows up somewhere across town, that's where they're going to go. But if we say it all begins with God, our goal is to show you God and you look at him. They will stay if they keep looking at God. It all begins with God. He is it. And so some people say, we know God's in it because look at how many people we have. May I remind you that the true likeness, <laughs> the true success of a church is not in its size, but in its likeness to Jesus Christ. You can have a small church that is successful if the people are like Jesus. They're following after him. Any man can build a crowd only God can build a church. But it must begin to God. The Christ-centered ministry says it's obedience to God. We're just supposed to obey God. Whatever God tells us to do, we'll do that. Whereas the man-centered ministry is in competition with others. They hear that the church down the street has a printing ministry. So we've got to have a printing ministry. The church across town has a school. So we need to have a school. But you know, it's not God's will for us to have all those things. We're only supposed to do what God has given us to do. But other people get in competition with other churches. Well, they're having this. So therefore we have to have this. No, we don't. We're just supposed to do what God has given us to do. That makes things simple, doesn't it? But we're not in competition with others. We're not in competition with any other church. There's enough lost people to go around. God didn't call us to be keepers of the aquarium. He called us to be fishers of men. 
We're not supposed to be getting church people from other churches and trying to get them to come here. We're supposed to see people come to know Christ, disciple them, teach them, and have church where people said, I got saved in this church. That's the type of place that we should have. Not trying to get more people and get other people's church folks into here. The, with the <coughs> Christ-centered ministry, God is glorified. We should have a type of ministry that 10 years from now, when people said, how did this happen? The only thing we could say is God did it. God did it. With a man-centered ministry, they could bring you across and say, yeah, we did this and we did that. And how, how did we get all these people in here? Well, let me tell you what we did. And man is glorified by it. All we're supposed to do is be obedient and God brings the results. That's what we're supposed to do is be obedient. And God is glorified when he gets all the credit for it. How did all these people get here? God did it. How did you get these things accomplished with, with as small as a group that you have? God did it. How do you support all these missionaries? By the way, we do support more missionaries than churches three times, four times our size. Amen. And they got, how does that happen? God did it. It doesn't work out, but God did it anyways. I mean, every time we do finances, how does this work out? God did it. God, God gets the glory from it. God gets the credit from it when it all begins with God, when it all ends with God, when God is the goal. When we understand it is a Christ-centered ministry, that when we have a place that is Christ-centered, our whole goal is to point people to Christ. That we want Christ to be a part of here. That we want God to show up. With a man-centered ministry, a lot of those times, those churches, God's presence has left there and they know something's missing and so they put different things in there to distract people so they don't know that something's missing. They didn't realize that God hasn't been there in a long time. With the Christ-centered ministry, it's all about serving God. Serving God. Whereas a man-centered ministry, it's all about serving self. How do I get myself recognized? How do I get myself ahead? How, how do I make myself better? With a Christ-centered ministry, it is simple. The Bible commands us to do things in simplicity and godly sincerity. It's simple. Whereas the man-centered ministry, it's complex, it's complicated. Many of you have experienced the difference between a simple Baptist church and a Catholic church service where things are complicated and all these other stuff or many other church services. You've seen ministries that are simple and ministries are complex and it looks like a house of cards and you don't know what's going on here. When it's following after Christ, it keeps it simple. We just do the things that God has given us to do. But when it becomes complicated, something's wrong. And oftentimes, it's man's made things complicated. Now, what we see here is that there's two totally different ways of life. We choose which way to live. And remember that it starts with our vision of God. Our theology, how we see 
what we know to be true about God should affect our philosophy, what we see to be true about life. With our church services and everything that is done, it should start with our vision of God. Because God is this, because this is how God is, because this is what God says, this is what we do. That's as simple as it is. And that we want to strive here to have a Christ-centered ministry. Now we have to be careful because we all have enough flesh that given the right time, the right thing, we want the accolades. And then we get the boo-hoos. Nobody patted me on the back because I cleaned the toilet. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of the prayers. I need to show everyone how spiritual I am. And if people recognize how spiritual I am, they'll ask me to do something else. We have to be careful with that. We all have enough flesh that it tries to creep in. That's why we often and continually have to say, look at God. Look at him. Look at him. How do we have unity in the church when everyone's looking at the same goal, the same God, moving forward the same place? That's where unity comes from. But when people are looking at other people, other things, things get complicated and you have disunity. Again, makes it simple. If everyone's following after God, we move forward together. And we all have our place and we all have something to do. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Now again, this is more of a complicated, more in depth. This isn't something we would necessarily do on a Sunday morning, but this is a Wednesday night crowd. And so we want to make sure that you have an understanding. Why do we do certain things the way that we do? Well, we try to put thought into it and say, what is it that God's given us to do? Is God honored by this? The way we do this is God honored by this. God should be the goal for everything. And that we need to have enough discernment that we could see other folks that seem to be successful. Are they following after God? And some are. But are they, some of them, looking at man? Are they doing it for their glory and their honor? Are they doing it to puff themselves up? We need to be careful and be discerning about what is going on. And that our goal should always be God. So what about you? Does your theology, how you see what you know to be true about God, affect your philosophy? Or does how you see and view God or view life affect how you see God? There are some people, because of the way that they were raised and because of the activism that they have in life, they let that determine how they see God. And they have an unbiblical view of God. We need to be careful of that. We should always let our view of God affect how we see things in life. And when we do that, we understand that there are certain things that seem good that we're not to be a part of because they're man-centered and not God-centered. This is one way that we can have discernment ourselves when we live in a world that has a lot of activism, a lot of things going on. But we see at the core, what is their goal? What are they trying to accomplish? Is it to be pleasing to God? There may be many people who are doing good things to the neglect of the best things. The best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. And that the good is often the enemy of the best. 
We need to be careful that we're not doing good things, but neglecting the idea that God is the goal. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.